0: Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. We are, as Britt said, frighteningly in Lent. (laughs) Not, Not that it should be frightening, but the year is off at a pace. And Lent has begun. And as Britt rightly said, this is a time when we focus our attention on remembering what Jesus did on the cross, remembering him coming out of the grave. and, And we focus our attention and we walk this path and do that over the next few weeks towards Easter Sunday. And we have a series that we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. And what this series is, is looking at the roles that Jesus plays. To understand Easter, we have to understand the work of Jesus. And to understand the work of Jesus, we have to understand who Jesus was. And when you look at Scripture, and this is going to be the big theme of this uh, series, you'll notice that Jesus fulfills three very particular roles in Scripture. We've got them illustrated almost as a kind of sort of triangle here. Uh, You have the role of priest, prophet, and king. These are different roles that, that were existing in the scriptures, particularly through the history of Israel. I think we've got a slide there of the three roles that Jesus played. So that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to do priest this week. We're going to do prophet next week. King. I'm pointing at Brit. She's just talking. Um, <laughs> just <to laughs> sorry. Prophet next week. Yeah. <laughs> The prophets will know that we are. Um, and uh, king, and then we're going to talk about how they all align uh, together. But what also we're going to discover is that Jesus fulfills these roles, but also that all of us are imprinted with these roles. You may not think of yourself as a king or a queen, unless you're a complete egomaniac, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, you may not think of yourself, oh, we're going to talk about the biblical sense of what that means. Um, look at how these roles are imprinted on us. So today we're going to begin with the first one, which is priest. And I'm going to do that by looking at, I think, one of the great sort of uh, chapters. The whole book really explores this theme, the book of Hebrews. And it says this, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he's speaking here of the human high priest that had gone before, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect for ever. Now, to understand what is going on here, in many ways, we need to understand what a priest is. And many of you, Will come to this space, not with a neutral view of what a priest is, but a set of images in your head that when I say the word priest, instantly come to mind. Now, for many people, this may be from popular culture, movies, Mr. Bean, I don't know what, where you have an image of a priest, and that is what comes to mind when you hear the word priest. Others will have an image. Of perhaps church leaders that you've been under. Now, different denominations have different names for leaders of churches. Priest often is associated with Catholic priests or Orthodox priests or Anglican priests. Uh, In the tradition uh, that we find ourselves in, often they're called ministers. Uh, Here, we are Church of Christ Church. I grew up in a Baptist church and there was a minister. And he had a particular robe he would wear. He would come out and he would preach the gospel. And that really sort of fulfilled in my mind what a minister was. Then, when I was older, in my teen years, I actually moved from the Baptist church and I went to the Salvation Army church. In the Salvation Army church, the priest was not called a minister, the priest was called a Salvation Army officer. And they wore a military uniform. And they had ranks and had a salute. If you ever see a salvation, i army officer. Just, just do that and I'll, you'll get it right back, probably. Um, or get stared at by them, strangely. Um, and so all of us have these images. And it's really interesting. One thing I realised, that when I began ministry, in a church like Red, you can have everyone and we'll all be in the service and we'll all be doing our thing, but all of you have very different ideas of what a priest is. Some people have the idea of the pastor, perhaps you went to a large Pentecostal church and the priest or the pastor or the minister is someone is there and you call them pastor and it's you know Pastor Fred or Pastor Mary, there's someone who there's lots of honour on and you sort of don't expect to have heaps of their time. You might come from, say, a little Uniting Church, a little Baptist church, where actually you expect to have heaps of time with the pastor or the pastor is the person who visits people who are in their home or the pastor is the person who's out doing evangelism or the pastor is the person preaching or the pastor is the person administrating. All of us have these different views, whether you started in church, you've never been to church before today, all of us have these views. And often when you're in ministry, you're in conversations with people and you realize that, hang on, they're seeing me through those prisms of what they expect a priest or a pastor or a minister to be like. But what I want to do in this series and what I want to do today is pull apart, actually, what does the Scripture say? To understand Jesus' work as a priest, his role as a high priest, We have to go back from all of these images and actually return to the biblical picture of priests. And what are priests? If you dig into the scriptures, priests are people who live in God's house. In the Middle East, in the culture that the scriptures were written into, hospitality was a huge deal. If someone came to your house, there was a whole retinue of different things that you needed to do in order to make people feel welcome. People would go to war, almost. Families would battle if certain hospitality things weren't done in the correct way. And so what priests were, were keepers of God's house. They have a role to serve God in his house to tend and to cultivate. Priests are those who are near to God. Because they live in the house of God, they dwell in his presence. And they're defined by his presence. They live in his house, are loved by him, and they receive God's hospitality. Now, what we need to understand too, as the scriptures begin in Genesis... The image of the world, the Garden of Eden, the world that God creates is actually the whole of the world is God's house in which he lives. His presence is everywhere in the garden. And so what happens is the fall comes along and humans sin and they choose to throw away that role to be tenders of God's house. And instead, they almost try and set up their own house. They try and become kings and queens, their own kinds of priests, doing their own things. And they believe the lie that they can become like gods. Now, what this means is that God then has to create this boundary between him and the death and sin that is then brought into the world when the fall happens. But God doesn't stay distant. What God does is God's heart is still for people. God's heart is still for people to again dwell in his house, for his presence to dwell in the world. So what he does is, you can see this story through the scriptures growing. He sets up these kinds of in-between places. Often they're really simple. Jacob wakes after a dream where he sees a ladder between heaven and earth. And he he builds a kind of altar in that place. So what happens is, in these places where God creates, where heaven and earth overlap, priests then become the people that work in those in-between spaces, the exchange between heaven and earth. You can almost call them the border officials on the sort of border between heaven and earth. And thus, they become mediators. A mediator is someone who goes in between. Often you may have heard the word mediator, perhaps in a workplace where there's a dispute or a housing dispute or whatever, but actually mediator isn't always a negative word. Mediator or media is actually this word which means in between, to communicate between two people or two places. And so God raises up priests to work the in between places and then to be in between God God and the people, between God and the world. So let's look then at some of the contours of then of what the priests, how they operate in this time where God is coming closer and working these in-between spaces. Well, I mentioned Jacob, and what Jacob does is, And Abraham does this as well. When there is this obvious thin place between heaven and earth, what they tend to do really early on in the story of Scripture is to build altars. As access and movement is established between heaven and earth, priests build altars, places which facilitate worship in the presence of God. And you see these stones, often they're just stones at the beginning. Stones become altars. But then we see in the Scriptures, there's then dwelling places called the tabernacle, a tent where God's presence comes, and the priests are the ones which work this place. The tabernacle then becomes a temple. And these are the places where heaven and earth overlap. And so one of the things that that priests are called to do, because still God is holy, he's a God of life, he's not a God of death, and because he's holy, he's not a God of sin, and sin and death cannot stand to be in his presence, and he protects it's like, in a sense, keeps them at a distance. Priests then have to keep these places holy. Their job is to prepare people for holiness in order to approach God in these exchanges between heaven and earth. And often we see the story of the Old Testament is that the people affected by the fall often fail to keep these places holy. Holy. They failed to keep themselves holy. Thus, we see something in these spaces which develops, which is called sacrifice. So priests actually sacrifice. The priests would sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. Someone was offering something like a lamb. Now, this seems really ancient. The idea that actually we would have to sacrifice something to get closer to God. But if you look at our world, I don't think any of this has gone away. I think if you look everywhere, humans cannot but build altars, tabernacles, and temples. We were showing Brian and, and Tracy Heasley around our city the other day, and it's interesting you come and you see the sporting precinct in our city. We have our secular temples, like the MCG, our altars, our places where We try and get a touch of heaven. And in the same way, just as the priests had to create these lines between trying to keep sin and death out and create these boundary points, despite all of our society's talk of its value of inclusivity, everywhere lines are drawn. People talk about people being cancelled. We have our sacrificial lambs today. They're probably not lambs cut on an altar But they're people who have to take the brunt. We have terms like the fall guy, the fall girl, the person who becomes the sacrificial lamb for something when the greater amount of people have done something wrong. After sacrifice, something would happen in the priestly duties. What would happen after sacrifice is sin has been made atoned for that often then the priests would gather and have a kind of feast. And this leads us to the next thing that priests do. Because priests live in this memory of living in God's house. We create these in-between places where we sit with God in his presence. And so priests commune and facilitate communion. Communion, connection then can happen in these overlapping places between heaven and earth. So if the priest lives in the house of God, he enjoys and also participates in the hospitality of the host, God. This is the Middle Eastern worldview facilitated by a feast. The feast is more than just a bunch of people eating. A feast then creates a covenant. People who'd been at war and wanted to move into peace actually then came together and ate together. If there was a marriage, a business deal to be consummated, that people would come together and feast. And so the connection that happens when the priest does communion first happens vertically with God, but then it flows out horizontally with others. And the priest lives at that crossover point, leading others into the place of communion with God. But as you read the scriptures, what we find again and again is that this system that God sets up falls over. Though we see that the people don't keep themselves holy, they, they fail to worship. We often see even the priesthood becomes corrupt. The priests are ones which don't follow the very rules of holiness and justice that God calls them to. And that boundary between heaven and earth is often then withdrawn. We see in Scripture The presence of God actually at one point leaves the temple and God's house is just like, I'm done because of the constant sinning and the bringing of sin and death into these special overlapping places. And so thus the role of the priest is then disrupted by the fall. The priest is the mediator in a strategic relationship between God and humanity. However, with the breaking of relationship with God and other humans, they are no longer in relationship with God and they're out of his presence. This is also speaking of us. If all humans have a priestly imprint on them, this speaks of us. This means instead of communion and living in God's glory, which is what the priest was called to do, instead we, instead of glory, feel shame in our relationships with others. The priest called to work and serve in the space between God and humans changes and work and service becomes painful and meaningless. Selfishness invades this space. The interface between heaven and earth is compromised. Humans cannot stand to be in God's presence. And what happens is, as Alexander Shaman wrote, the priest, and he's speaking of us, like as in humans as priests, says he ceased to be the priest of the world and becomes its slave. We are meant to mediate God to the world, but instead we just get ruled by the world. This is why Jesus had to come and actually show and model how a priest would truly operate. Jesus comes to act as our priest, our mediator before God. This is part of God's salvation plan. Now, what's interesting is Jesus is not a priest, as was understood at the time. There was a priesthood that comes through a family line, a line of Levi. They were called the Levitical priests. It was very clear if you were one. And everything about Jesus shows us that he was not a Levitical priest. He was actually a carpenter who, in his early 30s, puts aside his carpentry and begins a traveling ministry announcing the kingdom of God. Yet actually when we examine the scriptures, we see that Jesus takes up the priestly role. We see the story where he goes into the temple and drives out the moneylenders. We see in that story the passionate zeal that priests were meant to have for God's house. We see in the story the priests were anointed, they were set apart, they were called to a special duty different to the rest of Israel. And we see that in Jesus as he is anointed, is baptized, set apart for a special role. The priests were called to pray and intercede for the people. Often they did not. But we see that in Jesus, him weeping, spending the quiet time in the quiet spaces, interceding for his people. Jesus invites others to sit and feast with him and to eat in God's presence. However, when it's he dies... And is resurrected. This priestly role truly comes into view. And this is what we see in the book of Hebrews, more from the book of Hebrews, uh, in chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, where it says this For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. What it's saying here is all these things that were set up, these interfaces, between earth and heaven, the, the stones that were altars, the tabernacle, the tent, the temple, all of these things pointed to the greater reality of heaven itself. And Jesus is not ministering in one of these earthly interfaces between heaven and earth. He's actually gone to heaven to minister on our behalf. It says here, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the Most High every year with the blood That is not his own. Jesus therefore doesn't have to keep sacrificing like the earthly priest did. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. This means Jesus has gone as high priest to heaven. His death turned him into the great priest, the great mediator between humans and God, opening the way for us to live in God's presence. And this changes your status as a human being. When we truly grasp who God is, what God does for us, what Jesus does for us on the cross, it then opens up the possibility of us seeing who we really are before God. It says this in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. "But you are a chosen people. This is speaking of you. a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So Jesus going ahead as high priest, The high priest was the top priest, and the priest would go into the holiest of holies, right into God's presence, Then he would be the head of the other priests. We now are the other priests in the world, reconnected with the original call that God has for us when we follow Jesus, and we step into that call. What is that call? Well, the first thing is that it means that we are called to cultivate as his priests in the world. God calls in Genesis, Adam and Eve, the first humans to go and tend and cultivate the world. Eden's boundaries were actually meant to be stretched to the ends of the world as Adam and Eve would have gone out cultivating. Adam and Eve themselves were actually hybrids of heaven and earth. Humans then were meant to take heaven out into the world. The fall stopped that. But now we are reconnected to God's mission. That means as royal priests, we are actually called to cultivate the world. And the word cultivate, if you examine it, actually comes from the word cultus, which actually means to worship. And so what this means is everything you do, every act as a human being, the projects that you love and you feel so alive when you're doing, but also the stuff that just sometimes seems like it's disconnected even from any spiritual reality. The moment at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're waken again by a kid. The endless administration that we all face, eating a meal, chatting with the person in the street. All of these things we are called to do with a holy intent, offering them up to God to cultivate, where work and worship come together. They're linked. Shaman, we quoted before, goes on to say this. He uses male language as a man, but this equally applies to women. The first definition of the man is that he is the priest. Humans are called to be a priest. He's saying that's actually the primary definition of us. He stands in the center of the world and unifies it in his act of blessing God, of both receiving the world from God and offering it to God. He transforms his life. The one that he relieves from the world into life, sorry, that's meant to be receives. I was like, relieves? The one that he receives from the world into life in God, into communion with him. So now what the priest does when we are living on this side of the cross in Jesus' resurrection with Jesus, the high priest, working in the heavenly space, we then live as mediators with the world. Every situation you are in, you are mediating for God. When you step into a situation, we need to look at this through actual new kinds of ways seeing ourselves as placed there as God's holy priests, chaplains, if you like, in every single space. And this means this can only happen when we understand the second implication is that we're called to then be reflectors. Reflectors. Priests with their vertical orientation, looking to God above all else, standing in God's presence. Then begin to, with that vertical definition by God, actually then begin to reflect His glory horizontally into the world. We are called to reflect, like a mirror, God's glory, not our glory, but God's glory into every moment, transforming the world as we are transformed by Him. There's some situations, there's some spaces. There's some places, there's some relationships that we, the people in this room, find themselves in. And perhaps it's a frustrating one. Perhaps it's one that just doesn't seem to be working. Perhaps it's one that seems to be leading you farther away from God and just things seem to be going wrong. You're actually called to reflect God's glory in that space. Not your glory, God's agenda, not your agenda, God's agenda into that space. That's what priests do. That's what humans are called. This is God's mission to redeem the world. And lastly, what it means when we are called to be priests and pick up the original calling that was given to us in the garden is that we are called to have zeal for His house, called to have zeal for His house. In John 2:17, after Jesus has cleared, In the temple, John's Gospel notes that his disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is living with zeal for God's house, who tends with hospitality, God's presence, who is constantly creating space where God's presence can come. We will pray at our services, Holy Spirit, come. Come. But the royal priest is asking that everywhere, recognizing that God's presence is everywhere, looking at spaces where God's presence can fill. The first altars were a single stone marking a place where God had moved, where heaven had touched earth. The temple was built by Solomon with countless stones and other materials. These are places where God was welcomed Where he was welcomed because we've been welcomed by him. And this leads us to a question: where are we building? Are we building a place where God is welcomed? Are we consumed by zeal for God's house? I'm trying to put language at the moment to something I'm seeing happening. It's not seeing something I'm just seeing happening at red. But it's something that's happening all over the place. I've had people sending me emails about this from overseas. We just went to Sydney and then Brisbane with Brian and Tracy Heasley on this 24-7 prayer, sort of a little tour. And I had heaps of conversations with leaders, many of whom leading churches, a number whom I haven't spoken to since before COVID. And there seems to be these two tracks running amongst the people of God at this moment. And I'm trying to work out how they fit together and maybe they don't fit together. On one hand, there is a growing hunger to create a space in our churches, in our lives where God moves to actually host God. I was just speaking to a young woman. Yesterday, I think I think it was yesterday. I've lost track. It's Sunday, isn't it? Yes. Who's <laughs> just creating these spaces because all she wants to do is host the presence of God. And she's just getting her friends together. She's young. And they're just praying and worshipping. So in Brisbane yesterday, in this meeting on top of this building... And the amount of people who, in the last five or six weeks, are starting to do 24-7 prayer around the clock, not all because of 24-7 prayer, people who just been called to do this. There's people who are just getting together on Saturday nights and just worshipping. There's churches that are putting on extra nights just for people to do this. I actually know of churches, I took a friend overseas, where he's literally getting the 20-somethings in his church saying, hey, can we borrow the building on Thursday night? We want to worship and pray. He's not having to run a program, it's just actually happening. There seems to be this growing hunger in the world and in different places this is breaking out where people have gotten to the end of themselves and they just want God and they want him to move. And it's actually quite moving. Brian, who gets all over the world, uh, said uh, at one of the events we're at this this week, he's never seen anything like this in his how many years of doing ministry. Not contained to one church, not contained to one place, And then this weird conversation where I'm having the same conversation with people, and at the same time, they're saying, it has never been this contested. We've never seen so much conflict in our churches. We've never seen so many solid people seemingly like taking their faith apart. People who were at the centre of teams and leading and working in churches, leaving and... People fighting, and this is just, I'm having this conversation again and again, and I'm trying to work out what's going on. And I wonder if partially what's going on is if you look at the story of church for the last 20 or 30 years, in many ways, many churches, particularly contemporary churches, I'm just going to paint with a broad brushstroke for a second have actually built church on a model where it's like, well, how do we get people to come to church in a secular age, car parking, programs, make the music like this? How do we do feedback groups to see what people want out of a church and then reshape our church around that? And my heart is sort of heavy because I wonder, and I ask myself, have I done this? to try and create a church that's oh, not like those churches or it's in that way or this way or whatever. And instead of creating a space where we host the presence of God, I'm examining myself at the moment at different times because I can look at others, but I want to examine myself. Have we sometimes built a church which is actually hosting just our expectations of what church should be like? And there was an article in the paper the other day not about church. It was in the I think it was in the, the, the Herald Sun and it interestingly it said we're going through the third stage now after covid of how people are reacting. The first stage they called the great resignation where people are just like, hey, I could go and live by the breach, I'll, I'll quit my job and telecommute or I'm I'm sick of this or covid's made me rethink everything. Great resignation. You're all pretty much okay with that. And then we had the second phase, which is well, people who didn't want to resign, but they were working from home, and they realised that they could do the Zoom meeting with, you know, their picture not on there, and still get paid. And then it led to this great trend, which all these employment people and HR people all talking about a bazillion LinkedIn articles written about it. Quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. So first stage was great resignation. Second thing, quiet quitting. But this article was saying we're now in the third stage. I was like, there's a third stage. First two were disruptive enough. Thank you. Why can't we just have the everything going back to like comfortable time stage? I wish. And the third one they said is the great resentment. The great resentment. And what they said is like workplaces are getting torn apart all over the place. HR departments are working their butts off. And what's happening is it's like almost this, all this resentment and frustration of the last few years has emerged. And like stupid things, like people fighting over things that happened 10 years ago or this or that, just bubbling up into workplaces. And as I've been sitting with pastors, this is seems to be also happening in church. It's happening throughout culture, people cracking it on planes and road rage incidents and there's this great bubbling resentment underneath everything and i was thinking about all of this as i was preparing my talk and and i think about the role of a priest and i'm not talking about just me you maybe look at me go mark's the leader of this church or whatever i'm talking about us as a royal priesthood we're called to mediate between humans and gods we're called to bring god's glory into conversations into spaces We're called to have zeal for his house. And I can't help as I listen to, I mean, literally, leaders who are almost in tears as they're talking to me. These two tracks of, like, part of their church wants to just completely tear them down, and the other part is like wanting to tear the doors open of the church and just start worshipping and praying. And it feels like a moment. I'm not even saying we're leading it or at the front of it. I'm just watching it and trying to sense what God's doing. And I wonder whether we're moving into a new phase now, that the model of just building church and leaders did it, people in churches did it, building churches where it's suited to human needs, whether we've come to the end of that and maybe that's where all the the resentments are coming up. But what I think the future does hold, I think the thing that God is doing is actually to rediscover the zeal for God's house. To actually say, when I go to church on Sunday, how do I actually have a zeal for God's house and want to host his presence? And actually create a space in my heart and soul where it's not about what I'm bringing, it's actually about what God, who God is, his majesty, his glory, and what he's doing. And I wonder whether we get into to the end of ourselves, because we've been trying to discover ourselves, trying to do the Rubik's Cube to fill out our wants and desires. But actually, what we've got to is the end of the selves. And the only thing which is going to help us discover ourselves is losing ourselves in God. And the only kind of church which is going to break through now, which is actually be resilient in all that the cultures coming against it, is actually a church which has zeal for God's presence, So, I actually think this sounds dramatic and Hollywood, but I actually think we're at, we're at, we're at four two roads at the moment as the people of God. And I think God's saying which way? Great resentment, burning out, or actually saying yes to God and burning with zeal for his house. Let's stand. God, we sense palpably all these things. We sense frustration in the world. We sense resentment in the world. We sense maybe disappointment that all the promises that have been made about what life would be like, maybe they're not coming true in the way that we thought. So we actually want to lay that all down before you. We want to recognise that you are the high priest and you exist in heaven, mediating for us. That what we're doing here is an echo of the worship of heaven, the communion with God in heaven. But we also recognise that heaven is close here. So we want to give you anything. Maybe weighing us down. Maybe it's coming to the end of ourselves and trying to find ourselves everywhere but in you. Maybe it's the bringing of our agendas, God, I lay down. Perhaps even at times we've shaped church, more reaction to what people want, what we want, than what you want. God, we lay down for the fact that we sometimes come to this place With a bunch of stuff that we want. And we forget about you. And Father, we sense that there is actually something strange happening in the world at the moment. There is a hunger growing. And I think about a line that Brian Heasley said, Father, in Sydney, he said, what if the next great awakening is not geographical in a particular place, but actually what if it's generational? Generational. And that you're actually raising up a new generation of people who are going to have zeal for your house. And a generation biblically is not like millennials or Gen Xs. A generation biblically, as you know, Father, is the people alive in the world at a time. And so, Father, it's this transition moment that we're in and our culture in the church. And in many ways, there's two paths before us to burn out or to actually burn with passion for you. Help us to be your royal priests, your reflectors of glory in the world, mediators of a world which desperately needs you. We lay down our shame. and Father, we want to reflect your glory. So Jesus now, high priest of heaven, work in us. We give this place to you anew. This is your space. We want to host your presence while here You gave your life for us so that we could sit and feast with you at the end of history. And so, Jesus, you are welcome here. Spirit, you are welcome here. Let us now worship you.